0: The Gospel according to John, chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. As he, Jesus, walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went, he washed, and came back able to see. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as Scripture is read, as Word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. Today we continue our worship series that's been dubbed Hot Topics. We've been asking questions of our faith that move us, questions that perhaps we've been scared to ask or questions we've been dying to ask all along but just never did. Today's question... We'll talk more about the uh, importance of this question or how popular this question is later. But we're just going to get right with it. Why is there suffering and evil? There was a man who was the poorest man in the village. But he owned the most beautiful white stallion. And the king had offered this man a small fortune for this stallion. After a terribly harsh winter, during which the old man and his his family nearly starved, the townspeople came to him, paid him a visit, and said, Old man, you can hardly afford to feed your family. Sell the stallion, and you will be rich. If you do not, then you are a fool." It's too early to tell, replied the old man. So a few months go by, and, and, and the old man uh, woke up to find that his stallion one day had run away. Once again, the townspeople came, to the and they said to the man, See, if you had sold the, king, the horse to uh, your, the king, you would be rich. Now you have nothing. You are a fool, the old man replied. It's too early to tell. Two weeks later, the stallion returned. And along with him, three other beautiful white stallions. Old man, the people said, we are the fools. You are the smart one. You waited and he came back and brought more with him. It's too early to tell, replied the old man. The following week, the old man's only son was breaking in one of the stallions and he was thrown from the horse, crushing both of his legs and could no longer walk. The townspeople came to, back to the old man, paid him another visit and they said, Old man, if you had just sold the stallion to the king, you'd be rich and your son would not be crippled. Yet again, you are a fool." guess what? The old man replied. It's too early to tell. Well, the next month, war broke out with the neighboring village. All the young men in the village were sent into battle, and unfortunately, none of them returned home. The townspeople came, and they cried to the old man, We have lost our sons. You are the only one who has not. If you had sold your stallion to the king, your son, too, would be dead. You are the smart one. But the old man's only response was, it's too early to tell. You know, in the midst of trials, sometimes well-meaning people try to offer explanations for why bad things happen. But we human beings, as limited and finite as we are, The truth is, we just don't know. And it is okay and acceptable to admit that we just do not know. Yet even when we don't have the answers, even when it's too early to tell, there's still good news, friends. God is still good. A Barna poll, which is a uh, religious-based research organization asked the question, if you could ask God only one question and you knew that God would give you a definite answer, what would you ask? Guess what the question was? The one that we're talking about today. Why is there pain and suffering and evil in this world? In fact, more people would point to the problem of evil and suffering as their number one reason For why they do not believe in God. Or for why they have been driven away from God. Or themselves from their relationship with God. More so than any other point that can be made. So, the valid question is this. We sit in here and we echo the call back every Sunday that God is good all the time. But there are folks who are watching or perhaps even sitting in here today while responding to this call, asking the question, if God is so good, then why is there still suffering and evil in this world? Why does a mother of three die from cancer? Why do teenagers have to die and get hurt in a car crash? Why is a father of four gunned down on the streets while doing his job? Why did 2,977 people have to lose their lives when terrorists decided to fly airplanes into buildings? Why did 8,500,000 soldiers have to lose their lives in World War I? Why did the hurricane have to come and destroy my house and my town and do billions of dollars worth of damage to my friends and my neighbors and not only once but 15 years later do it again? Why? 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 Anybody else have a question why that you're dying to get out? We all have the questions that we want to beg God. Why? Why? And to answer these questions, we're going to do so in two stages. So are you ready? Are you with me this morning? you ready to strap in? (laughs) Because we're going to cover some some ground today. The first stage is this. We say that God is good all the time. And it is important to remember that this idea, that this started with the goodness of creation. Six times in Genesis chapter 1 it says that God's creative work was good. The way God created this world it did not have disease. It did not have death. It did not have evil because in the beginning God created the world as good. However, When God created humanity, God gave us the greatest gift we could have. The gift of free will. In that, we were created in God's own image. With the free will to choose between good and between evil. Because of humanity's decision to disobey God, sin entered our world. Therefore, we are now born into a world where sin and evil exist. Romans 3.23 says what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we are all born in a world where sin exists. We all, at some point, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we care to admit it or not, no matter what age we are, we have at some point been guilty of sinning against God. And it is simply part of the fact that it is part of human nature. It is who we are as humans. I know that's not something that we all want to hear, but the fact of it is the matter. But here is some good news. Are you ready for some good news? I love good news. I don't like ending on that fact. God's love for us is so strong, so massive, so good, that God immediately sought to fix the problems that we created. The Bible is an ongoing story about a loving God working to cure humanity of its sins and restore creation to its intended perfection. Humanity still retains free will, and we often reject God's love. Whether intentionally or overtly, we we reject God's love. But you want some more good news? Through it all, God is still good all the time, and God will never, no, never, no, never give up on anybody. That's the first stage of the answer. The second stage is this. And this is an answer that comes from the modern version of, of, of Christianity. The, the, answer, the first stage of the answer was the traditional answer of view of Christendom. The second is the modern view. And it's this. Today unlike any other time in history, we have technology that allows us to uncover answers to questions about how God created our earth and how, God, and how our world operates and the natural processes that God instilled on the, in creation now more than we ever had such technology. Thus, our understanding of the world has grown and we can no longer blame all bad things in the world on human sin. And for some people, that answer alone is no longer good enough. And so, we then have to further split this answer into two more sections. Why is there suffering from natural disasters and disease? And why is there human evil in the world? So that's what we're going to do. We'll start with the first. There are many occasions when we connect with the beauty of creation, of the amazing complexity of the universe, and know that a good and loving God must have designed and created it. There are times when I look at things and say, there is no way that God did not have God's hand in this. Amen. Thus, as our understanding of the world has grown, And we can no longer blame all bad things in the world on human sin. And as this answer is no longer enough for some people, the question of suffering and evil is still split. So if a God is so good to create such beautiful, beautiful creation, but such wonder at the goodness of creation also sets us up for the problem of suffering and evil. God created magnificent clouds and magnificent weather patterns that can produce hurricanes and tornadoes and storms which can kill and which can cause destruction. And in creation, there, there are, are many diseases that, that cause babies to die within moments of birth, or seemingly healthy people track cancer and die within six months. So how do we explain a world in which a loving God allows natural disasters and diseases to occur? I think the first thing comes in in, in how we ask that question I think we're doing God an injustice whenever we ask it in the way that says, how does God allow? God's creation is what allows for incredible complexity. Violent weather patterns play an important role in the larger ecology of the world in which we live. And quite frankly, we don't have the brain capacity to fathom the workings of the necessities of these weather patterns. A forest fire causes massive destruction, sometimes death, but it also cleanses the ecology and restores systems to balance. We do not know if it is possible for a world to exist that does not have some of these destructive forces in it at least not in the way that we know it today. A world as complicated as ours will inevitably have parts that appear to be destructive and yet are necessary to the working of creation as a whole. Are you with me this morning? In 1926, the last wolf was killed in Yellowstone Park. In 1995... 31 wolves were released into the park, and, you know, amazing things started to happen. The wolves killed the deer for food. The deer moved away from the valleys. Vegetation increased because there were fewer deer. More vegetation stabilized the riverbanks and allowed the population of other animals to thrive and to increase. The whole ecosystem became healthier and more stable because the wolves were back. God created our world to have amazing complexities and delicate balances. I love that line in The Lion King where Simba is asked, Dad, don't we eat the antelope? Yes, Simba, but let me explain. And therein comes the line of delicate balance. I think that's the best way to explain the complexities of creation. God created our world to have amazing complexities and delicate balances. What may look like evil at times is actually an important part of the whole balance of creation. It's also important to remember that many, many of God's creatures have a level of freedom that allows them to move and to act on their own. Though God remains in control of our universe, God has deliberately and creatively allowed creatures to move and to act independently. A woman unbuckles her seatbelt to tend to one of her children in the back seat, and in that split moment, a deer runs out across the road in front of her car. Upon striking the deer, it ejects the woman and she dies. The tragedy seems senseless, and people will ask, Well, why did God allow this to happen? But, folks, I'm not convinced that I believe in a God that allowed and willed her death to happen. I do not, in my own theology, believe in a God that acts in that way. I believe in a God that is good. And only good can come from that God. But we live in a world where creatures make decisions upon their own. And the decision of that deer in that moment To jump out across the road is what caused that incident and the death of that woman. I do not believe in a God who wills our death. I do believe in a God that uses our death for good. God created a world in which creatures make choices. And sometimes those choices have tragic results. The problem of human evil then, as we move on. You know, it's, it's actually much simpler to explain, but it's also a little more disturbing. <laughs> Although it's simpler. Humans are given the capacity for freedom of choice through free will, And with that choice, sometimes choose to commit evil. Humans have an inclination to sin. It's easier. Why work harder when I don't have to? It's harder to do the right thing, true or false. It is harder to do the right thing. We all struggle with evil desires that go against God's laws. So often we're tempted to blame God for the way others behave or, or for not stopping their violence or for simply allowing it to happen. But the reality is that too many people ignore God's grace in their lives and choose the evil paths that they are on. We also know that grace is active in our lives before we were even aware of it. We have a fancy word in the church for that. It's called prevenient grace. The grace that came before. The fact that God loves us so much that as soon as sin was introduced to the world through Adam and Eve, God was already in the process of Jesus (laughs) because of His love for us. So every human has the freedom to either follow the evil uh, impulses we are born with or to follow God's leading to obey God's laws and to follow the way of the cross. We have our choice and our choices determine the outcomes. You know what? Ultimately, we could sit here all day. I could use a completely different school of thought for this message and you could be sitting there saying, I don't agree, I agree with this train of thought instead. Or you could be sitting and saying, I completely understand and I like where you're coming from. But you know, no matter what, no matter what your thought is, no matter what my thought is, ultimately there may be no satisfactory answer to why of evil in this world. But here is some more good news, are you Ready? Buried beneath all of the layers of suffering lies an opportunity for God's grace to be at work. There is never anything that can happen in this world that God cannot use for good. This is true of of broken relationships. This is true of pain caused by human evil and the destruction wreaked by natural disasters or creatures we look for meaning we look for purpose behind these events and we often find none when we look to jesus however jesus redirects our thinking to the responses that we are called to make how often can we just not do it on our own And God says, you don't have to do it on your own. That's why I came as Jesus. That's why I left you the Holy Spirit. So you never have to feel like you're being left on your own. So then let's use the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us process these thoughts, these decisions, these questions. Just as in the passage of Scripture we read today, many situations that involve suffering create opportunities for God's love and God's compassion to be shown through. This requires answering the questions of why then. Why is there something in evil? Why, whatever your why is, requires answering the question using the perspective of the cross and finding the presence of God in the moment and that's hard to do but here is despite all of my questions of why there is something that that has held me and perhaps this verse is cliche and it needs a context to (laughs) flush But you know what? Sometimes context just gets in the way because I know I serve a God with this that has gotten me through the deepest and the darkest of moments that all things... God calls us to work together for good to them who love God, who are called according to His purpose. And God is working on that even when that glory has yet to be revealed to us. Even when we have no concept of when the answer may come. Even whenever there is nothing but darkness on the horizon, there is still a light at the end of the tunnel because God is already working on it. That has gotten me through so much and perhaps it has gotten you through so much. We serve a God who is good, who causes good to work together even when the good has yet to be revealed. So the question then is, how does the cross of Jesus speak to a world of pain, to a world of poverty, and to injustice? After explaining the full range of biblical ideas of atonement, author and theologian John Stott concludes his book, with a chapter entitled Suffering and Glory. He describes the miserable conditions of millions of people who live in shanty, town, shanty towns of, of Africa and of Asia and the, uh, the uh, baritas, baritas, baritas. I'm not Spanish, I'm French. I guess that's how you pronounce it. The baritas, not burritos, baritas of Latin America and in the favelas of Brazil. Then he tells a story about an imaginary poor man from the slums of Brazil who climbs up 2,310 feet up to the mountain to the colossal statue of of, of Christ that appears over the town of Rio de Janeiro. It's called the Christ of Corcovado. Do you know which statue I'm talking about? The great white statue, the Christ of Corcovado. After the difficult climb, the poor man uh, finally reaches Jesus and says... I have climbed up here to meet you, Christ, from the filthy confined quarters down there to put before you, most respectfully, of course, these considerations. There are 900,000 of us down there in the slums of that splendid city. And you, do you remain here at Corcovado surrounded by divine glory? Go down there to the favelas. Don't stay up here away from us. Live among us and and give us new faith in You and in the Father. Amen. John Stott would add, what would Christ say in response to such an entreaty? First off, how often have we to ourselves, had this same conversation with God. How often have we beckoned, begged, come before God and said, why are, you, are these things happening? Why are you nowhere to be seen? Why are you nowhere to be found in my heart? How many of us have gone there and done that? It is okay. It is okay. Stott asks, what would Christ say in response to such entreaties? Would He not say listen to this, would He not say in the suffering of the cross, I did come down to live among you and I still live among you. John Stott adds, we have to learn to climb the hill called Calvary and from the vantage ground of Calvary is where we must survey all life's tragedies. I'll end with this quote from Stott. The cross does not solve the problem of suffering, but it supplies the essential perspective from which to look at it. cross does not solve our problem of suffering, but it provides the essential perspective from which to look at it. When we look at things through the lens of God, What do we see? We wouldn't see the evil that came from the decisions. We would see how we could bring good from the evil that comes with the decisions. So the question for us today is this. When you are faced with suffering and evil and sin, how do you approach it? Do we look at it and say, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Or are we asking God, what can I learn? How can you move? How can someone come to know you? What can be done? How can a life be transformed for you, for the sake of good, because this is happening? We serve a God that is good. All the time. Let that be, let that be what we think of our God. And let that be the way that we approach all the things this life throws at us. This is the gospel message. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.